what's today? Halloween, Reformation Day. Well, yesterday, you know, gets overlooked because of today. Yesterday was National Candy Corn Day, just to let you know. And there is a secret ingredient in candy. It's over 200 years old, by the way, people. And did you know there is something called, well, in there is corn syrup, sugar, water, marshmallows, fondant, and carnauba wax. Do you know what the carnauba wax comes from? A palm tree. That's kind of crazy to think somebody said, hey, let's combine this palm tree wax with this other stuff and boom, candy corn. So there you go. Okay. Um, Now, we're following up on last week's lecture. So if you didn't bring your notes from last week or you couldn't come for last week for whatever reason and you need a handout from last week, um, Julie, do you mind helping me? If, if you need, and do you mind helping me, Lorraine? If you need one of these, just raise your hand and these two lovely ladies will bring you one because I know some people had to miss last time and we're just happy you're here this time. And so, yes, what is today? It is National Reformation Day. We're so thankful for Martin Luther and it is also Halloween. Don't do this. I don't care if you believe in the holiday or not. Do not pass out little fun salad. There is no such thing as a mini fun size salad. Don't be this person, okay? If you need candy, come to my house. I'll give you a whole bag. You can take it to your house and hand it out. Do not be this woman. All right, did that give everybody a chance to get a handout? And then this is the handout for today, okay? All right, we are going to jump in right away with where we left off with, I will wait on God. So we had some questions that we're going to cover today. Why should I wait on God? How do I wait on God? And what do I do while I'm waiting? I don't want to overlook the obvious here of why do I wait on God? It is the eternal mom answer because I said so, right? I mean, that should be enough for your children. God tells us to repetitively in his word, wait on him. And that should be enough for us. So I don't want to overlook that. That is why we wait on God because he tells us to wait on God. But there is actually even more reason behind it because God's, um, God's laws, God's rules for us are not just haphazard. He's not some cosmic killjoy up there just trying to figure out how he can ruin our lives. It is the exact opposite. Everything he tells us is for our good. So let's look at a reason behind because I said so. God's timing is perfect. Just a few examples, and they're there on your handout for you. You can read them in detail in the scripture. I'll summarize. In the New Testament, in John 11, Jesus' dear friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that Lazarus is very sick, and they want him to come. And Jesus doesn't just delay. He purposefully delays to the point where Lazarus dies, And then we get some real insight because the disciples are with Jesus and they know that they're friends and they're a little perplexed. Why the delay here? And Jesus lets them in on it. Let's look at John 11. But when Jesus heard about it, Lazarus being sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God. I, the son of God, will receive glory from this. Then he told them, the disciples, plainly, Lazarus is dead. Can you imagine me and the disciples sitting there thinking, oh, great. 
Now Lazarus died. And for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there because this will give you another opportunity to believe in me. Come, let's go see him. Do you see three reasons right here Jesus gives for what seems to the disciples to be the delay? It wasn't a delay at all. It was perfect timing. For the glory of God, that I, the Son of God, will receive glory and to give you another opportunity to believe in me. Well, Jesus does eventually come. And actually, when he arrives, Lazarus has been dead and in the grave for four days when he gets there, when Jesus finally arrives. And both sisters say to him, quote, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And John eleven forty five 45 says, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Was Jesus late? No. Perfect timing. And these scriptures are on your handout. Psalm 75, God, at the time I have planned. Psalm 105, until the time came, the Lord. Isaiah, this is what the Lord says at just the right time. Isaiah 60 I, the Lord, will bring it all to pass at the right time. Again, not just in the Old Testament. Let's look at some New Testament verses. Romans 5, 6, Christ at just the right time. Galatians 4, 4, but when the right time came, God. 1 Timothy, God at the proper time. 1 Peter, God in his good time. 2 Peter, the Lord isn't really being slow, giving more time. God's timing is always perfect. Now, this is really beautiful when you think about it because God is the creator of time and yet he exists outside of time. He made time for us, for you and me. And yet his timing is always, always, always perfect. This is a reason we wait on God to stack on top of God's character, right? Which we looked at last week. There are other examples of lessons for us from those who initially chose to not wait on God. You know, newsflash, we do not have to learn everything the hard way. This is one of the reasons why scripture is, is so helpful in our lives. So let's look at someone who chose initially to not wait on God. I'm thinking of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar and Ishmael were the result. The promise was given back in Genesis, in Genesis 12, and then again in 15, and again in 17, that Abraham was going to not just have a child, but lots of descendants. And Sarah, Abraham's wife, schemes and manipulates, thinking she's in control, and she says this in Genesis 16, but Sarai, Abram's wife, had no children. So Sarai took her servant, an Egyptian woman named Hagar, and gave her to Abram so she could bear his children. The Lord has kept me from having any children, Sarai said to Abram. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed. Now, how, do you know how many years it was from the initial promise God made to when Isaac was born? Isaac was born to Abram and Sarai, not, to, not through the servant. Do you know how many years that was? 25 years from the promise to when he was born. This scripture that we're reading here happened about midway through the 25 years where Sarah said, I, clearly I need to help God. You see, that's what she's, 
Okay, Abram, this is what we're going to do. Come here. Come here. You too. Did Abram, did Sarai need to help God? Did God need her help? No. He did not need her help, and his timing was perfect. Was Isaac born one day sooner or later than what God wanted Isaac to be born? Exactly when Isaac was to be born, Isaac was born. Now, are there consequences when we... So did Sarah wait on the Lord? Yeah, she did. She waited on the Lord 25 years, and then she had her son. But by... by trying to step in by choosing to not wait on the Lord. It's always consequences to that. And for the whole nation of Israel, for the whole world, there were huge consequences to Abram sleeping with the servant. Ishmael was born. Ishmael had 12 sons who became warrior leaders against Israel. There's more on your handout. First Samuel 13 is the story of Saul and Samuel. And Saul doesn't wait for Samuel to come like he's supposed to. It's all about a burnt offering. And again, you can read the whole story. It's on your handout in First Samuel 13. What were the consequences there? Huge. He lost his throne. Do you know that's why he lost his throne? First Samuel 13 says, How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You've disobeyed the command of the Lord your God. He didn't wait. Had you obeyed the Lord, the Lord, had you obeyed, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your dynasty must end. For the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. Oh my goodness, who is this? The Lord has already chosen him to be king over his people. For you have not obeyed the Lord's command. You didn't wait. And now, do you know who this is talking about? It's King David. It's Ruth's great-great-grandson. Pretty cool, huh? And then again, you can look on your handout for more. The so what, now what? Is there an example from my own life where I initially chose to not wait on the Lord? What happened? What did I learn? How did God work? There are also rewards for those who choose to wait on God. And again, we talked about Joseph last week, Genesis 50. But as for you, you meant evil against me. Joseph is talking to his brothers, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So rewards, many people lived. The other scriptures on your handout, you can look those up on your own. I want to move to Lamentations. Lamentations 3.25. The Lord is wonderfully good to those who wait for him and seek him. Look at Isaiah. But the Lord still waits for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for him to help them. This is how we stay open to the movement of God. We wait on God to work. Look at this very familiar verse in Isaiah 40. Another placable. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. What is the superlative in this verse? Okay, I'll give you this one because maybe you don't like English or something. I don't know. It's walk and not faint. If we were to write this verse today, we would probably 
do it in reverse, a little bit more dramatic. So, so it would sound like this. Those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will walk and not faint. They will run and not grow weary. They will fly high on wings like eagles. You see the build? That's how we would probably write it, right? To the dramatic. And yet, how is it written? Every word is important. This is beautiful to me because sometimes in our holding pattern, times of life, when we are waiting on God, the hardest thing to do is walk and not faint. One step in front of the other. All right, let's keep going. So what, now what? Have I seen the results of waiting on God in my own life? Even if I do not see his blessings yet, am I still willing to choose to wait on him? All right, these next scriptures, how do I wait on God? I'm gonna read you the scripture and you're gonna tell me what you hear out of scripture, how we are to wait on God. Psalm 62, I wait quietly before God for my salvation comes from him. I wait quietly before God for my hope is in him. Lamentations three, so it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. What did you hear? Quietly. So we wait quietly. How else do I wait on God? Listen to Micah 7. As for me, I look to the Lord for his help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. Isaiah 8. I will wait for the Lord to help us, though he has turned away from the people of Israel. My only hope is in him. How do we wait? Confidently, hopefully. Either one works confidently. All right, how do I wait on God? Psalm 27, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Psalm 37, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes in Habakkuk. But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. And then in Hebrews, patient endurance is what you need now, so you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. How do we wait? Patiently. You know, you can only wait patiently if you have the foundation of what we talked about last week of knowing who God is, truly believing that he is good, he is working for good, he loves you. This is the foundation. So what now, what on your handout? Am I quietly, confidently, and patiently waiting on God? If not, what can I do today to make the necessary adjustment? So what do I do while I'm waiting? It was fun to go back, and I don't know how many of you journal, we have any journals out? A few. Uh, it was fun to go back and look at a time in my life when God actually taught me this acronym, and I believe he gave it to me. Um, and so I share it with you today. What do I do while I'm waiting? The W stands for word. Stay fresh in his word. I can tell you two of the biggest decisions my husband and I made for our family, it came straight from scripture was where um, I knew it was the right thing to do. And it wasn't looking up the verse. It was where I was already reading in scripture, if that makes sense, right? All right, Psalm 130. 
I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. In Romans 15, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. They give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises. The A stands for act in obedience. If you don't take any notes today and all you do is write down the word act, please, please, please put in obedience afterwards because Sarah acted, right? Oh yeah, she totally acted. She just didn't act in obedience, okay? So that's the kicker, not just act, act in obedience. Psalm 37 says, don't be impatient for the Lord to act. Travel steadily along his path. This is a picture of what, how we're to wait patiently. See, don't be impatient for the Lord. It's, that one, it's to walk and not grow weary. So to continue on the path that you're on. We had a wonderful discussion in our group. I know you're loving your groups and loving your leaders, and I do too. And we talked about how do you, sometimes some of you may be waiting on a decision to be made, and you got to make it, but you're wanting to make the right one. Um, This is a good example of this. Take the next step, take the next step in obedience. The two scriptures on your handout, James 1, um, you can read that on your own, but it's a beautiful picture of we're not just supposed to listen to God's word, we're supposed to obey it. And if we don't, it's like looking in a mirror. And it would be like I just ate, um, I love spinach artichoke dip. And it's like I just ate spinach artichoke dip. And then you know how it like gets in your teeth. And then I checked in my mirror and it was in my teeth. And then I just went on like I didn't even look in the mirror. Well, that would just be ridiculous, right? Who would do that? None of us would do that, right? And that's what this scripture's talking about, James. Not necessarily spinach artichoke dip, but looking in a mirror and then just walking away like, I, I didn't see anything. And then the other scripture on there, Matthew 7, a beautiful passage, one of my favorite in all of scripture. There's a song about it that little kids learn about building your house, and it's two builders. One builds on sand. There's a lot of, there's a lot of commonality. They both build a house. And they both hear the word of God. Listen to that. They both hear the word of God. Storms come to both builders, the winds and the rain. The only difference between the two is one obeys and one doesn't. That's huge. So you read that on your own, Matthew 7. Um, And then this is from Life Principles from the Old Testament. Joseph, because we looked at him last week, I just want to wrap him up with this. Joseph had to have been confused about what God was allowing to happen in his life. He could have become bitter at his brothers and at God for allowing them to mistreat him. He could have focused his energy on waiting for God to rescue him in some way. He could have given up and settled into self-pity, but Joseph did none of those things. Instead, he trusted God to be in control and did each next thing in such a way as to glorify God. Charles Stanley, I love him. He's an old Southern preacher. And one of his life principles is obey God and leave all the consequences to him. The I stands for intimate. Be intimate with God. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Listen to him. Be still with him. You know, when you're in a time of waiting and, you know, some helpful sister tries to tell you, you know, pray about it. And it kind of makes you mad at her because you're like, I have prayed about this. So 
That is what intimate is. It, it would be like me trying to figure something out in my holding and my waiting pattern, and there's someone right here who knows everything and has all the answers. But I'm not, not going to talk to him. I'm just going to worry about this. I'm going to talk to my friends about this. I'm going to research this. I'm going to, do you see that would be ludicrous? Why would you ever do that? And that's what prayer is. It is talking and listening to God. And he is the one who loves you most and who is working for good and who is with you and who is working for your good. So talk to him and perhaps more importantly, listen to him right? All right, intimate. I looked this up. Marked by close acquaintance, association or familiarity, a close friend or confidant. That's what Jesus has done for us with our relationship with God. It says that in the New Testament. Jesus makes us friends with God. Psalm 5-2 says, listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for I will never pray to anyone but you. Psalm 41, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. Micah 7-7 is not on the PowerPoint, but it's on your handout. As for me, I look to the Lord for his help. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. The T stands for trust, and we're back full circle. Do you see why I didn't just want to tell you W-A-I-T? Because the T, we are back full circle. Trust him. Trust who he is. Psalm 86, 15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm 119 you are good and do only good. Teach me your decrees. The trust is actually implied in the W, the A, and the I. You really can't do the W, A, and the I if you don't trust God, right? It's just actions unless you really trust him. And this is not blind trust. This is not blind faith. It is based on the truth of who God is, right? This is who I trust. Psalm 84, for the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Corey Tinboom puts it this way. When a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and trust the engineer. I can trust him. You can trust him. So what now? What am I reading, meditating, studying, and memorizing his word regularly? Am I being obedient to all he has revealed to me so far? Am I talking and listening to God throughout the day? Again, as we wait on God, you really need to realize you're just living in the truth. When you're waiting on God, you are actually living in the truth. But waiting isn't always easy. I talked with a woman this week who's been waiting for five years to have a baby, and it is not easy. And she watches others getting pregnant all around her, and that is hard. And we talked about this very, this very hard waiting, and yet the truth is we will wait on God. It, in our waiting time, it takes people to come alongside of us sometimes to help us wait, to remind us of the truth of who God is. 
to encourage us. It takes our own commitment, a recommitment. I will wait on God. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord. This is how we stay open to the movement of God. All right, we're going to move now into our uh, chapter three, and I have nine minutes. What's up with that? The cultural context of Ruth three. I did bring with me some sources from my house. I did not do any of this research online. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's plenty out there online, but anytime you go online, you really need to look at the source behind the online source you're looking at, and I preferred to do these tried and true books up here. So you are welcome to come and look at them after. I'll leave them up on the stage until I uh, leave after small group today. Um, So this is the sources, Archaeological Study Bible, the Cultural Background Study Bible, Essential Judaism, Everyday Life in Bible Times, Illustrated Manners and Customs of the Bible, Life in Biblical Israel, and Manners and Customs of the Bible, different one. Uh, one's got illustrations. Don't you like that? Illustrated manners and customs of the Bible. The other one, no pictures, <laughs> which isn't true. It has pictures. All right. Chapter three. You realize chapter three takes place in 24 hours. It starts and it's, it's, it's a day. It's like we're not missing anything. We get the whole day. And we see a change in Naomi right at the very beginning in verse one. She says, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Warren Wearsby says, God used Ruth to turn Naomi's bitterness into gratitude, her unbelief into faith, and her despair into hope. So I want to talk about four with more. So four things that may not need a cultural explanation, but actually there is more behind it than what we even know. And then with whatever time I have left, which won't be much, we'll do four that are like, what's up with that? And we'll hit those two. So let's start with getting ready. Ruth 3.3. Now do as I tell you, take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. So this one is kind of common sense, right? Smell and look your best. But realize bathing wasn't an everyday occurrence in, in Ruth's day. And anointing the body was even less common. And this also represented a financial investment in Naomi's part. This is not actually fancy clothes either, that we're a a little bit misled by our different translations here. Um, Put on your nicest clothes is what uh, some of your versions may say. But if you go back to the original and look at most of the commentators, that word should be better translated heavy mantle or some kind of a big outer garment. Now, why would she do this? Two reasons. Perhaps she's cold natured. I was going to say like several of the girls in my family, not me. And in June in Jerusalem at night, it would be around 70. Now to me, that's beautiful, but to some, maybe it's cold. 
I think the more reason why she's told to put on a heavy mantle is because she needs to be careful that nobody sees who she is. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, okay? Again, elsewhere in the Old Testament, the same Hebrew word is translated simply clothes or cloak, okay? So it's probably, don't picture she went and got her Cinderella fairy dress on or whatever, her prom dress. That's not what's happening here. But she does smell good and she looks a lot nicer than she did when she was picking up the grain along behind the workers, okay? All right, the next one. Uh, the way to a man's heart, finish the sentence. That's through his stomach. Okay, so this has not changed. The way to my heart is also through my stomach, so whatever. Yeah, we love food, right? But there's more behind this than what might first meet the eye. Naomi is probably more concerned about the other men at the threshing floor. She wants all of them to be fed, have their drink, and go to bed before Ruth makes an appearance in her heavy cloak mantle. Okay, so that's most likely what's going on here. And remember, they're going to go to bed when the sun goes down because that's what they did back then, especially on the threshing floor where there are no lanterns because that's way too much of a risk to set the, the grain on fire. They would never do that. So when it's dark, it's dark. Okay. All right. Let's see. Why are they waiting on the cover of night? Are they doing something wrong? No, they're not. There is a huge risk factor here that we don't understand so much today. This is from uh, the Women's Bible Commentary. It says, it's not primarily the town gossips that concern them. The real danger is if a man is suspected, so just suspected, of having sex with a Gentile, what is Ruth? A Gentile. She's a Moabite woman, remember? He cannot marry her or perform the role of Levere, which is kinsman redeemer. So the stakes are high, ladies. The stakes are high in what Naomi has asked Ruth to do. All right. Um, gifts. It, the, in Ruth 3, you know, as she's leaving, Boaz tells her, don't go home empty-handed. Well, that's still a good idea, right? Getting good with the relatives, especially the mother-in-law in this case, right? But there's... Uh, more going on here. You know, okay, it's not flowers or chocolates. It's actually something more valuable to two widows who are struggling. He actually gives them sustenance. And again, the meaning goes even deeper because what we see is Boaz cares for the people that Ruth cares about. This is barley that Ruth hasn't gleaned or gathered or cleaned or threshed. This is a pure grace gift from Boaz's hand. And on the practical side, if anyone should stop or see Ruth leaving, remember she waits until it's not dangerous to leave because it's not all the way dark, but somebody might spot her. She has a whole six, remember from our game? She has six of whatever size you want to say that is. It's heavy. Actually, it's on her back. And so she has a reason to be there. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right. And then the verse between the two, verse 16. Tell me everything. This is such a girl deal. Do you have any like men in your life that are like so bottom line? 
I do have one of those. And I can tell when I'm telling him something that he's just wants the bottom line. Yeah, you do too. His name's not Ken, is it? We're not married to the, no, okay. Yeah, whereas my friend Lori, we can tell details to one another because lo- I love to hear the details. I want to know everything. That's what's happening here. Tell me everything. But it's even better than that when you know the backstory, okay? The NLT says, what happened, my daughter? The NIV says, how did it go, my daughter? The ESV says, how did you fare, my daughter? Another version said, the message says, how did things go, my dear daughter? But look at the literal translation. The literal translation is closer to the King James Version. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who art thou, my daughter? That's totally a different question. Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. Who art thou? That is the third time Ruth's identity has been questioned in this book. Remember? This is the third time. It's a game-changing moment. If we missed it before, what Naomi is saying, did it happen? It's more like, this is from Matthew Henry's commentary. Who are you? Are you Mrs. Boaz? Did it work? Did he accept your proposal? Tell me everything. That's the real question. We lost it in some of our translations. In Matthew Henry's commentary, in Naomi's seemingly simple question hides a deeper one. Art thou a bride or no? Must I give thee joy? That's pretty cool, isn't it? And then don't you love it whenever Ruth tells her what happened? To tell, can't you see the two women tell me everything? You know, and, so, and as Ruth is telling Naomi, she doesn't say, Ruth doesn't say anything about what Ruth did. Why? I think it's because Naomi already knew what Ruth did because Naomi told Ruth what to do and Ruth said, I'll do it. So that's integrity, right? So Naomi already knows what Ruth did. So now we're hearing the whole conversation circles around what Boaz did, okay? And it's 10 o'clock. So we don't have time for the, you got some splaining to do. Um, Those are really fun, but... uh, I'll show you one. I'll show you pictures, and then we'll just pray and go. Um, The threshing floor. The master did the threshing floor, not the servants. The servants did the field work, but the actual owner, the master, is the one who did, went to the threshing floor. That's why Naomi knew Boaz would be at the threshing floor, because he's the owner. So it was actually the owner who did the whole winnowing fork thing. And this is what threshing floors looked like. And they were believed to be about 50 feet, and they were circular. Um, So I just wanted to give you the picture, and all right, let's just, all right, we'll just just skip, just look at the pictures, here we go. Uh, That's funny, Rhonda will probably have to omit that, yeah, all of this, here we go. Mm. Okay, we'll go to this one. We'll close up here with the last verse. Ruth 3.18 says, then Naomi said to her, just be patient. Oh my goodness, she's going to have to wait. Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. 
One version says, just be patient and don't worry. The message says, sit back and relax. The King James says, sit still. That is the closest to the actual Hebrew, which literally means sit down. It's like our saying, sit tight, sit down. Now, true that she only has to wait a day here, but remember, they've been waiting for some time. And now Naomi and Ruth can do nothing but wait. They can't work. They can't glean. They can't scheme. All they can do is sit tight. Liz Curtis Higgs says, maybe that's the simplest definition of faith, sitting tight, waiting without fretting, trusting without second guessing, believing without demanding proof. Psalm 27, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. And so our very brave and courageous Ruth is sitting and waiting patiently with Naomi by her side, also waiting patiently. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the times of waiting in our lives and for the people you bring alongside of us to wait with us. Thank you for the opportunities you give us to wait with others. Thank you that you are with us, you're working. You're working for good, for our good, and we can trust you. We love you, and we do trust you, and it's in Jesus' name. We pray only to you, our King, our God, our Son, our shield, and our only hope. Amen.